At this point, you should be on the frame with a film strip title that says Oral Hygiene. Welcome to Oral Hygiene. This is the podcast where you look at educational films, caught experimental films, and interesting documentaries. This is Matt, and today joining me is Australian comedian and psychonaut Nick Sun. Hello, Nick. Hello, Matt. Thanks for coming in. <laughs> and um, yeah, I'm kind of glad our focus today is um, I don't know for me one of the one of the big guns and in comedy uh we're looking at a youtube film of uh bill hicks revelations which was a yep. i guess a comedy special way back in the day um i'm gonna as an american i guess i'm gonna say it's an, an hbo one um i think it's on english tv actually oh is it okay yeah, yeah. Uh, again on youtube you never know where these things come from anymore yeah, yeah 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 i did remember seeing this one um way back in the day uh, for yeah. me, most of my kicks exposure has been just like rocking those late 90s CDs in my car from time to time. So, and uh, Rantony Minor is like, I listen to that every day on the way to university for like two years. Yeah, yeah. Is it Arizona Bay with all the guitar interludes where, um, yeah, one, yeah, yeah. At one point they annoyed me, but now I get it now. <laughs> I kind of get it too, because most musicians either want to be a rapper or a musician. Uh, most comedians, sorry, either want to be a rapper or a musician. So they have to sort of crowbar that stuff in there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I crowbar my music into these podcasts. So <laughs> there you go. A lot of rappers want to be comedians though as well. So it goes both ways. Yeah, I, I have learned that I, I should never try to be a comedian. I can't write things. I can make interesting observations, but I, I can't make jokes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I can make jokes anymore either. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing um being in Japan so long is there's like no sarcasm in Japan. Yeah. So. I traveled through Asia, like finding my roots. And one thing they did not understand was sarcasm. And one time um, my relative, I, I'd made some joke and she, he was like, what, what, what do you mean? And I was like, oh, I was just making a joke. And he was like, how come your jokes are all about saying horrible things? <laughs> okay. Saying horrible things is on the table, but I have found talking to people um, abroad, especially that like they'll say something sarcastic. I'm like, oh, really? And they're like, no, are you gullible? I'm like, I yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I guess I'm gullible now. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I guess I guess the enculturation process has happened for you in Japan. Right, right. Well, just, yeah, just how people, I, I guess they're into, like, just goofy humor. Um, a lot of yeah. Japanese television will just have, like, insanely... Oh, All right, there's someone mowing the lawn. Can you hear that? Nah, it's fine. Okay, right, okay. <laughs> and uh, yeah. a little ambient noise is fine. I, I, think I'll, I think I've already heard a bird or two coming my way. I'm hearing That's my... Awesome. My heater that I don't need now rattle, but I don't think that's yeah. coming through on the microphone. I'll so. just quickly close the door because it's getting to me. Okay. Oh, it's quite dark now. Oh, that's too bad. I did like the door, but <laughs> yeah, that's all right. I might I might open it again through. through this. Anyway, this is boring for the listeners, so let's not do talk about this. Radio. <laughs> how, how did how did um how did you first come across Bill Hicks then? <laughs> oh, it's funny. I went to university uh, because you know you're young and you don't really know what to do. And so I studied psychology and one of my electives was performance, reading performance. And um, one of the units we studied, Bill Hicks, 
And I kind of wanted to be a comedian back then. I just didn't know the possibilities of the craft. And then I remember we, ha- we, we saw it in a big auditorium hall <clears throat> and all the Christian Bible people walked out. And I was like, wow, this guy can make people leave the room even though he's been dead for like eight years now. This is, uh, this is, uh, this is, this is huge. So after watching him and realizing um, the liberating effects of his comedy, just because it's so truthful and telling it how it is, um, I became obsessed with him and was just like watching everything I could find, reading everything I could find. Um, and yeah, like I said, I ended up listening to Ranch Minor every morning on the way to university for about a year or two. <clears throat> yeah, my end, I think it was uh, back probably... Actually, it was probably when he was still alive when I first saw a little bit of him because uh, MTV would still actually you know, show videos back at that time. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, they'd also have their comedy specials, you know, maybe like after the top 20 or whatever. And uh, I, I remember catching him and people like Stephen Wright would uh, show up on, on those shows in the early 90s. And yeah, yeah. So when those CDs showed up in the late 90s, it was like, hey, pay dirt. I can like finally like really, you know, delve down into this stuff. So and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I ordered all his VHS tapes back when VHS was a thing. So I, I watched Revelations on on video back in the day. Uh, yeah, the I, the stuff I listen to the most is probably Bill Hicks and George Carlin. And you and you got George Carlin, um, you know, earlier goofier stuff. Still, you know, yeah, yeah, quote unquote offensive or whatever. You've got his uh, angry old man period, which yeah. I actually prefer. <laughs> I, yeah, I like yeah, I know Carlin. It's a bit more he, relevant. Yeah, but he'd go on for 10 minutes with nary a joke. All very yeah, just like, yeah. all very captivating. But I think Bill Hicks was better just synthesizing that all together where he's going yeah. on a rant and it's funny as hell. <laughs> he had stronger punchlines, definitely. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, Colin, Colin uh, fam- well, I don't know, famously, he said that he'd never felt that Hicks fully um, condensed his stuff, which I thought was ironic because I was like, Duh, I don't know. <laughs> so, so, yeah. That's what What's I that, heard of. If, yeah, I wonder if any of those guys could even like operate now. <laughs> do you get well, can you get canceled yeah. that hard for what you say? Or I mean, if you do horrible things, you know, maybe of course that's one thing. But I'm like, it's it seems difficult to say things like uh, this these days, and and you're in the driver's seat on that, having recently been doing comedy. So yeah, well, me and my friends, we all found that. Um, Towards the, I stopped like properly gigging around 2013. And even then um, we felt, a lot of my community friends felt like the, this, the, the atmosphere was changing because uh, you couldn't talk about, you couldn't even address certain topics without people in the crowd looking at each other, seeing if it was okay to laugh and people going, ooh, those are the oohs would come in. And you're like, I haven't even gotten to the joke yet. I'm just raising the issue. So, and especially now, I don't know, it seems to be going two ways. There are people who are trying to be, so, so you know, there's all those SJW comedians and then there's the alt-right comedians and then there's South Park. I feel like South Park's just always a beacon <laughs> of some kind, but uh, they have a legal team so they can work out what exactly they can say <laughs> and they have an audience. So I feel like launching that sort of stuff on unsuspecting crowds is, is just... Uh, uh, commercially um, uh, dodgy because uh, I know that a lot of room bookers and the business side of the, the the craft would err on the side of caution rather than anything during these times. And I definitely have been banned from rooms back in the past for saying stuff 
yeah so and that was back when you could actually kind of say stuff so uh but i was you know i, I had issues back then <laughs> i still have issues now but uh i'm working on them yeah yeah well, that, that's part of uh, the, the whole comedy thing. If, if you don't have an issue, you probably don't have much to talk about. <laughs> well, that's it. Um, this one comedian at EFT talked about, and I really agree with him. He said, like, the best comedians have the perfect balance between dysfunction but functionality. So the really good guys you'll, you'll never see because they're too dysfunctional to actually make it in the game. So there are, there are guys who are just hilarious. There's this guy called Rick Shapiro who's just a fucking, he's a nutcase. He's like, probably had the worst childhood you could imagine. Um, and he would just go on stage for like three hours, a stream of consciousness rant, and I'd be laughing or wrapped in attention. Like, I mean, his opening line was like, hey, do you ever, <clears throat> do you ever suck dick for heroin? And then it was all kind of downhill from there. <laughs> he used to be a heroin junkie who was a male prostitute to get by. So, but he wasn't gay. So that obviously was a goldmine for material. <laughs> I do what you do for money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or hopefully not. Um, yeah, I, I've recently talked to um, a couple of uh, folks that did a lot of their, uh, well, they, they were used in the 70s or early 80s. And both of them, you know, they didn't know each other at all. Just talking about how back in that day you could like kind of not have a job and how you could like live quite inexpensively for a while, which is relatively impossible now. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, even when I was in America, things were a lot cheaper in America than they are in Australia. And when I was in England, uh, you could make it uh, by with comedy because there's a huge middle uh, sort of chunk of the sort of, I hate saying the word market, but you could get gigs and get paid for it and make enough money to get by. But in Australia, there's a very small top. So if, if you're in that top, you're, you're sweet. But if you're not, then it's a struggle. And the same thing in America, if you're at the top, you're on top of the world. But then there's a much smaller middle and then a huge bottom. So, yeah, it's a fight. <laughs> so in Australia, is the top funny? <laughs> oh, some of these guys are my friends. So um, <laughs> pl uh, diplomatically, I'd say for me, uh, the more comedy you watch, the more selective your tastes become, right? So um, personally, I wouldn't, I don't think they're particularly funny. <laughs> 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 they're lovely people and uh a lot of people think they're funny but for my personal tastes which are pretty esoteric nowadays and elitist um the only things which make me funny are like the absolute masters of the craft or the absolute novices um or the complete bizarro weirdos so yeah i mean you know i, I spent every day of my life pretty much five days a week in these comedy rooms watching comedy so you just become snowblind after a while. <clears throat> so it's only when someone, and it even got to the point where watching someone die terribly wasn't funny to me anymore. I was just like, <laughs> oh man, this is, uh, this is heavy. <laughs> so, now he's gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go leave the room for a while and uh, think about my life choices. <laughs> One of my uh, other podcast co-hosts, he's, he's several years younger than me. So I guess he's, he's the uh, generation behind me in a, in a way. And he's talking about how, you know, he's like, yeah, people like me, people my age, we've gotten like so twisted by weird internet humor. Like the mainstream just simply yeah. cannot make us laugh anymore. Yeah, well, I don't even think there is much of a mainstream anymore, right? Everything's just fracturing and you've got all these niche markets and all these YouTube comedians who play to certain audiences. 
And so it's all splintering now, I think. Um, yeah, I think, his, with everything. I think his statement was a point a little more like comedy movies. But the point also being we don't have so many comedy movies now because you just expect when you go to see your superhero blockbuster, they're probably going to put a few jokes in there. Yeah, but I find Hollywood movies really funny. Like I'm, I'm the guy in the movie hall who's laughing at all the wrong bits. Like when someone's dying terribly or <laughs> some horrible dramatic thing happens, but you can tell that it's fake. And I just laugh most of the time. I'm like, that's not real. We all know that's not real. Why are we feeling these deep emotions right now? Oh, because we're emotionally shut down as a race of people. You know, that actually get, brings us straight to the Hicks, which is here, and it's in, on one of the albums that, where he's, you know, saying put your put the deathly ill as stunt doubles. Uh, that, that's it. Actually, does get a weird reaction from the room even back then. So, oh, I was watching that, and I was like, oh fuck, this is like actually really full on. But you know, I remember watching that with my dad, and my dad was laughing at that bit. So, I guess it's genetic. It's funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> The other yeah. thing I totally forgot about was uh was the goat boy you know if can I mean cancer may have stolen Bill Hicks from us but it it also stole like the goat boy sitcom we could have had that could have been that could have been fun. oh yeah 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 goat boy I, I watched that goat boy bit again and I just forgot how long it goes and how the audience gets like less and less reaction and then he just keeps going but my what I feel is happening is because Hicks is so used to being against the audience to actually have a room full of 2000 people in London being on his side, that instinct in him just had to see how far he could sort of push it. So he kept on sort of digging and digging and digging. And this is things which a lot of master comedians do. They're just bored of having the crowd on side. So it becomes their little game to try and push the crowd as far away as possible and to see if they can win them back. So uh, Stuart Lee talks about this as well. So uh, it's called walking the room. If you can make people leave the room. <laughs> <laughs> that becomes a little uh, game that comedians play. Yeah. I mean, the, the fact is, if you're not trying to entertain yourself, what's the point? <laughs> well, yeah, I see playing out uh, their attachment issues. You know, they're like uh, that sort of like um, uh, a lot of comedians that the comedians who want to be loved, I feel have parental issues and the comedians who are more like, fuck you. They've got teased a lot in school. So they want the love and then, then they're pushing it away because they're going, fuck you, <laughs> you know, um, peer group <laughs> I, I i just i just um you know i teach english but uh, as recently as last week i was in there you know asking high school kids opening questions of class with like the cookie monster because because i felt yeah. like using the cookie monster that's why <laughs> yeah why not how old are these kids <laughs> they were like but, 16 17 <laughs> okay yeah yeah that's all right and then and that, like, all these white people are weird <laughs> and he just get he just get fucking pissed off if they didn't give him cookie related answers so uh, you know. oh, that's when the, the cookie monster has to get abusive you know yeah i did actually this was a different class but i, I made an eight-year-old kid fall out of his chair because he wanted to fight the cookie monster so oh really <laughs> yeah he always falls out of his chair though i didn't feel too bad he's one of those kids <laughs> huh. he sounds like a fledgling comedian <laughs> yeah probably um oh what was it that i got it was, it was like one of those things where you just, um, it was supposed to be like you choose your high school club and you ask questions, yes, no, and you go down the chart. And this yeah. one kid was just like, have you ever, do you, no, do you sometimes go to the sky? I was like, that's a great okay. question. <laughs> he was just trying to be weird, right? But yeah, a yeah. fledgling comedian, I was like, I think I was the only one that said, yes, yes, I have been to the sky. I sometimes go to the sky, man. I'm not going to tell you how, but <laughs> <laughs> well, they're like, 
this guy needs to be flagged. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. I did flag him. So and oh, and all the other students, um, it was like, you should join the tennis club. You should join the brass band club. His were all like it would come down to say if he, the writer of this um, survey, was a god or not. Yeah. <laughs> so if you answer the question a certain way, he was a god. And if you oh, okay. a different way, he was not a god. I was like, that, that's pretty genius. He's okay. weird, but yeah. <laughs> Definitely seems to have an artistic or possible fascist bent. But uh, Yeah, yeah. He hasn't seen Ghostbusters yet. If someone asks you if you're a god, you say yes. But Oh, yeah. I used to play the theme song in my um, in my circle sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Um, let's see what's dated here. Um, the, the intro, I like it. It made me think of Led Zeppelin's "The Song Remains the Same." <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Riding on his horse. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely, he had his his little cowboy narrative going. Yeah, that for sure. Then we get that song that's almost purple haze. That that was kind of annoying. <laughs> yeah, I think for copyright reasons. Oh, but totally. Hicks was, was always a mad uh, Hendrix fan. So, yeah. The, the line's not in here, but what, what is it? Something about like if you're um, you know, my my musical heroes drown in their own vomit. So. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's true. <laughs> Most of my musical heroes were suicidal, and I wondered why I was depressed all the time. <laughs> yeah yeah what is yeah what you bring to your life has a certain you know like vibration so you know i yeah. sometimes i'm in a very metal mood right but uh i when i'm on the train i'm usually like i, I commute by train i'm i usually want to hear zone out music i'm reading i'm playing a video game and i i, I don't even want a beat i just want this vibe you know so yeah i know what you mean yeah yeah i if i'm going if i'm really angry my new hobby now is i go for a drive in my car and i put on like metal like sepultura or mashuga and i just scream um and it's really cathartic i highly recommend that for people during these times especially <laughs> well that's what john lennon did right with uh, oh, oh yeah 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 Author Janov and the Primal Scream Theory. Yeah, I was listening to that mother song recently because I was listening to Gabo Mate's trauma course and he plays it for one thing and he goes, now it's a bit full on. And at the end, I was like, oh, he could have screamed for a bit longer. He would have been good. We probably did. It faded out. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know. And someone probably tapped him on the shoulder. and was like, John, it's okay. Just relax. It's actually on yeah, my front porch. In the room now. <laughs> it's actually on my front porch at midnight last night playing along with that song, even though it doesn't have a guitar. I was like, oh, okay, I could have had a guitar. That. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I, I guess that's my thing i don't drive around much just on sundays but uh i'll go out and rock on my front porch at midnight with headphones it's electric guitars right so oh, okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. doesn't yeah. piss people off too much <laughs> yeah yeah no it's my dream for everyone to have a little soundproof white padded room in their house just to scream and let it out <laughs> definitely I, I think from what i've learned from screaming is that we don't really scream enough <laughs> And uh, I've got I've done primal breathwork circles, and that's just a good weekly tune-up, really. Like the amount of screaming people will do, it sounds like someone's killing them. Uh, so I don't know. I think we've just been trained in the society just to put on the happy face, and uh, once in a while, all those screams that are just trapped in us need to come out, and um, then you're good for another week. <laughs> so. Yeah, and. You know, anyone can find like some way to do that. If they're in a maximum security prison, they might have trouble. But hey, they'll get thrown in solitary and then they can even do it even harder. But uh... <laughs> yeah, I think prison riots will release some kind of tension. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, for me, I, I you know, I, I like to make music and with this microphone, I'm doing podcasts on. But uh, 
I used to, you know, I wait till people would get out of the house and try and do it. And then usually not control myself. Yeah. Too. No one's in the house. My, my wife's still teleworking. So more recently, I've just been using my iPad. The technology is good enough. I'll take it in the middle of a rice field in the countryside and let her oh, rip. So that sounds nice. Yeah, 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 yeah. Why not? Keep saying, yeah, I keep saying people are like, why'd you have those bird sound effects? I'm like, I didn't. I was outside doing this. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Why not? Yeah, man. We've got, um, I, I wrote that you could say this Iraq, the, the Dan Quayle talk is pretty dated. And I guess he did really vanish right after 1992. So yeah. that's a point for the universe. Um, the Iraq talks dated, but, you know, change a few words and it's perfectly yeah. relevant now. It's, everything he says is relevant, but it's even worse now. So if Hicks was on stage right now, I could just see him just exploding like uh, in, in, in rage and like just uh, bursting like some kind of apoplectic stroke victim <laughs> like i don't know how much i like I, all i could think of was like man if he's this angry back then like he would just have to either like die of a stroke on stage or somehow reach some level of like enlightenment <laughs> you know so <laughs> yeah I, I don't know what it would be with him but um my friend actually, uh, she's a psychic and she wanted to see what happened to Bill Hicks. So she, she went into the other world and um, uh, with the intention of finding him and found this closed door, which said, do not disturb. Yeah, he's, uh, <laughs> he's probably screaming in there. Just for fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. Probably now, screaming, playing some metal. Yeah. My I, I don't I try, I don't believe in anything, right? That's kind of the credo I go by. And I definitely don't believe in, in this particular conspiracy theory, but I love this conspiracy theory where Bill Hicks was actually um kidnapped or taken in by the CIA, brainwashed, and is now Alex Jones. Oh uh, yeah, I heard about that. But they would have watch... a lot of plastic said so, no, I don't believe in that one. Okay, no, I, I, I loved it. I had a good listen and I watched Alex Alex Jones's response to it. <clears throat> Actually, what's really funny, you should check out his Alex Jones's stand-up um, routine. Have you seen that? I haven't. What I have on my main, uh, on the front of my mind is just the uh, famous, I, I will eat your ass clip. I'm like, that's something Bill Hicks would have done. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, yep. Yeah, okay. Well, anyway, I, I re recommend all the viewers, to, if they're Alex Jones fans, there's this other amazing comedian you should check out who's kind of carrying the Hicks torch called Doug Stanhope. And uh, he's still alive. I toured with him. He's an amazing guy. And he gets Alex Jones to open for him for about 50 minutes. And Alex Jones doesn't have any jokes. He's just yelling at the crowd about genocide. And Mao killed 50 million people. And he's, he's yelling at people in the crowd and calling them fucking punks and stuff like that. It's uh, That's comedy. <laughs> it's performance art. I'd, I'd class it more like that. <laughs> it's definitely a good opener. That's for sure. Sets a tone. Yeah, certainly entertaining. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. One, one. Other, just a weird synchronicity. Um, yeah, you know, we we already talked about John Lennon a little bit, and I just um, I I'm living in Nagano, Japan, and didn't realize for years that I was like basically in his seventies summer hideaway. Oh, okay. Um, I had no idea. Lennon Cafe, but this this was a totally weird thing. Though a few years ago, I found that uh, pictures I had taken with my father and my daughter at the time, you yeah. know, as a baby. We're like we're exactly the same as John Lennon's vacation photos. So that was kind oh, really? of cool. Yeah, it was a fun Father's Day gift one year. I just sent him the Lennon photos and the ones of him that were like, like almost mirror images. So Okay. So does that make you Julian Lennon or uh Sean Lennon? 
no, that means I just like Nagano and he did too. And that's kind of cool. And yeah, yeah. I guess, I guess Yoko Ono and I have similar photographic eyes. Hey, that's good. She was the artist. So <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. more screaming. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's see. He does a little scream out JFK. That's kind of fun. Comedy is cruel, at least when it's awesome. Um, oh, the news. That's a, that's a fun one. Um, one, my Japanese isn't that good, so I've gotten to this point where I can completely tune things out. I'm on a yeah. train; people are loud. I just, I'm not listening. I mean, I'll hear some words. It's not, yeah, non-existent. Or the news is on, and it barely like comes through anymore. So, like, I don't even know anyone. I mean, look, I hang out in weird circles, but I don't know anyone who actually watches the news anymore. Actually, maybe my parents do once in a while, but um. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I haven't even tuned. I didn't even know I was in lockdown for a day. So <laughs> my parents were like, "Hey, how's lockdown doing?" I thought I was like, "Oh, I thought everyone was just at the shops because they're going camping or something." So yeah, my, my father still loves to watch the news. He's like, he kind of pissed me off a few years. I, I get along with him very well, but he was just making these you know political posts that like I'm like, what? You know, that's that's horrible. And um, but yeah. now I I have no clue what he's talking about. Yeah, okay, here, yeah, yeah. Here's the most recent one. I have no clue what this means. Uh, uh, the Boston Tea Party will be echoed tonight by Georgians proclaiming the Atlanta political flatulence exhibit. Have a ball, Denver. I'm like, I have no clue what that means. That's gibberish. Yeah. I don't <laughs> think great. anyone actually has a clue what anyone's saying on Facebook anymore. <laughs> that kind of makes it fun. Crying. Yeah, I'm uh, suicidal right now, and I, I, I didn't actually know her, and I unfollowed her. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, something I never do is unfollow people. I, I guess if they were like direct messaging me, but no, if they say something, I'm like, why are they saying that? Or that kind of does annoy me. I'm like, now I want to see what they're going to say next. <laughs> oh, I don't have that greater interest in the human race. I, I, I unfollow people and it's like this, like this freedom. And I got to one point where there was absolutely no one on, on my feed. <laughs> this one lady, one friend of mine, Sue, who's a comedian, and she just posts really weird shit. She used to take a teddy bear on stage and talk about how she used to have sex with it. So, uh, and use it to clear, clear out the cobwebs in her vagina. So that was the one person on my news, news feed. And I was like, I was happy with that. And Sounds the, the peace right. I felt at just having that one person is immeasurable. So I highly recommend everyone just to unfollow everyone. And, and then I also report all the Facebook ads as uh, sexually inappropriate. <laughs> That's a good idea. No, yeah. my, my my Tom Fuller was changing all of my likes about three years ago to um, all things Kenny Rogers related. So favorite, oh, okay. you know, what restaurant you like? Kenny Rogers Roasters, you know, I'm into the gambler, you know, all that. Uh, not really, okay. but that's just what Facebook, what I told Facebook. So when he died a few years ago, like for a whole week, my news feed was just like, you know, inundated with Kenny Rogers Memorial. Yeah. <laughs> I kept changing my, my, my birthday. So I, I had like maybe six birthdays in a row and then Facebook made me stop. So it's now <laughs> April Fool's Day. So, um, but it's good. I just had this rolling happy birthday for about a week um, until people started cluing on. Right. And uh, what's my, my religion is listed as a King God burger, which is an actual burger shop in central oh. Japan. Fantastic. Okay. I, and I'd go oh, there. It's actually, actually called King God Burger. That's right. It is a King oh, wow. God Burger. I, and I make 
pilgrimages there. You know, it was like a five kilometer walk there and back. And uh, it's yep, a pilgrimage yep. for, for a fantastic hamburger. So that is a religion. That's more of a religion than, a, you know, I grew up uh, going to an Episcopal church. But I'm like, well, the, the burger, I went on more pilgrimages for the burger. Yeah. So. At least, you know, burgers are real, right? So yeah. uh, <laughs> you can worship that a bit more. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Not too far away, there's a hot dog that will make you a legend. <laughs> okay. I, I do like the Asian translations, how little they are. So, oh, this, this, was a, you know, this one was a monster. This one was a beast of a sausage. So Yeah, yeah. I could imagine that. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I did call my friend out a, a few weeks ago because he was like, oh, I, I got to get off the phone. I have to go polish polish the rice <laughs> no oh. and that's this is my australian friend by the way so it's not you know it's not like because he's but he's just like i gotta oh, go okay. polish the rice so i was like oh okay make sure no one sees you doing that man <laughs> yeah yeah what does that did he actually mean that is he a rice farmer um yeah like his family because he's married so he's a japanese family so they were actually polishing the rice <laughs> oh, <okay. All> right. <laughs> i was just giving him that shit for it because i was uh, like code yeah. word, some nefarious activity well, that's why I told him. And, and he's, you know, he, he doesn't look at the news at all. I, I look at the CNN headlines, not to see the news, but just to see what they're saying today. <laughs> okay. The only, the only headlines I read is from the Northern Territory Times, which are like um, hilariously shit. <laughs> like a uh, beer truck on the way at now. <laughs> and all right. <laughs> they're, all, they're all either beer or crocodile related. One well, yeah, was um, women, NT women drinking less beer. That was that was the that was a that was a headline. <laughs> so, have you gotten the Hicks headline? Man takes acid and realizes we're all one. <laughs> no, I think there was one about a couple having sex outside the casino in front of everyone, but um, I can't remember what it was. I, if they were able to use the word "fuck," I'm sure they would have. <laughs> Yeah, my favorite was um, uh, it actually was shortly after the American lockdown started, where uh, apparently a priest was having orgies in the in his church in what Louisiana because no one was out on the streets, so no one could tell. Just yeah, but yeah. I, I, well, actually, I was reading Joseph Campbell's book on comparative uh, mythology, and he was talking about the old school Christian sects before it like just turned into the mainline one that we have today. And there used to be Christian sex cults way back in the past where they'd um do a secret handshake and they all get together and there'll be one woman pretending to be Mary. And they all like, I can't remember exactly the details, but they were basically all ejaculating on each other and then eating it. Oh, okay. In, in a ritual. So I was like, wow, what happened to that Christianity? That, that Christianity needs to come back. I got Crowley and his cakes of light. I guess that's a similar thing. Uh, there. What's the cakes of light? That, that was, uh, it's one of Alistair Crowley's like bizarro, um, uh, recipes, but the cake of light included blood and semen, I believe, and was to be. Oh, okay. Well, so yeah, some you know insane sex magic ritual. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> if you're going to, if you're going to that much trouble, like um, you know, it's not that's not worth it. I mean, there's other ways to nudge the universe. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know, but I think after you commit to something like that, something's going to happen, even if it's your mind's just created. You know, if you've gone to that length. <laughs> Well, your mind's creating everything, right? <laughs> well, I don't know anymore. <laughs> Some stuff that I've seen, I'm like, if my mind created that, I have no idea what my mind is. So, yeah. Let's let's try and be uh, uh, funny about it for a minute. But um, my favorite drug stories, are, are you familiar with the uh, website Arrowhead? 
Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, um, you know, there, there's some fantastic things. There's a really good resource. But uh, the one I really like to go is to look up the uh, Datura stories and read oh, the yeah, brain yeah. wrecks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Those Datura. And in South America, they put this plant called Angel's Trumpet or Toe, which is a relative of Datura in the brew. And I've drunk that brew. And man, uh, I've always had visual and, you know, auditory hallucinations, but this one gave me tactile hallucinations. I literally felt this thing grab my leg. And then I looked up and there was this goblin standing at the foot of my leg. And I thought it was a shaman for a minute, like putting on some weird shape-shifting shit. And I was like, River, you look terrible. What's going on? <laughs> and then he just shrunk into the darkness. And then, um, uh, yeah, soon after the shaman was like, yeah, I'm not putting any more toe in the brew. <laughs> so it's a full on for people. <laughs> But yeah, that's uh, yeah. Those stories are pretty whack. So yeah, I've got some friends who've who've dieted with the Toei plant, and their stories are are pretty out there. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, well, that's the whole point. You had a shaman there to you know tell you what's up, right? Whereas if yeah. you got some kids, you know, in in Nebraska or something that are just hey, here it is on the street. They and they end up you know naked in prison or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, they call it the plan of last resort in South America. They use it to clean the crazy out of people. So if someone's got schizophrenia, they'll give them toey, and then the shaman will take toey as well and go inside their brain and clean out the crazy. But the only catch is that sometimes the, the shaman themselves gets lost and he never comes back either. So a lot of people reticent to do that because it's uh, work compo doesn't really cover that shit. So, yeah. Um, but um, uh, yeah. But they also give it to, uh, to really uh, naughty kids as well. So <laughs> I was reading about this. Apparently, if a kid's really naughty and is just will not is like a problem kid, they'll dose them up full of toey and they'll be really obedient after that. <laughs> I should use that for a few of uh, my wilder students. <laughs> See how that works. Yeah, the, the trick is the dosage. So uh, yeah. I think less is more in that case. See, I used to work uh, environmental education where the kids would come and stay for a few days. And, and the nurse there, when kids were homesick or flipping out at night, she just she just tap them up on uh, Benadryl and they'd fall asleep. You know, the uh, allergy yep. medicine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was in Jamaica and uh, one time and, and they'd give the kids weed. I was like, no yep. wonder you guys are chilled out. You're just stoned from the age four up. Yeah, that's pretty wild. But I mean, that I mean, in that case, it's what it's like religion, right? So. <laughs> Yeah, in a way. I mean, I've been to peyote circles and they're giving kids peyote there. And uh, in South America, they'll give their kids <clears throat> uh, ayahuasca from an early age, just as a tonic and breastfeeding. They'll put a little dot of ayahuasca on the on the lady's breast before they breastfeed. And they're encouraged to drink ayahuasca through the pregnancy. I've got some friends who actually drank ayahuasca and took uh, mescaline cactus through their pregnancy. Um, up until like, I think, it, I, I can't remember exactly, you, you do it up until like the sixth fourth or sixth month and then you stop obviously um but it's meant to give your kids special powers and when that kid was born I, I met it and i was like whoa it had like really bugged eyes and i was a bit worried i didn't say anything i was like but in my head i was like maybe she should get that checked out man but um something happened she came good after a few months she's like the cutest brightest magical little baby i've ever met so basically listeners do plant medicines through your pregnancy i think our world needs it right now <laughs> <laughs> consult your local shaman first though <laughs> yeah yeah i heard another story of this one woman who um drank ayahuasca maybe i shouldn't share this story because it's not really mine i'm getting not but anyway um yeah it has to do with drinking ayahuasca when um she was giving birth so <laughs> oh at that moment oh wow i don't know yeah 
I guess birth, well, a birth done well would be such a psychedelic moment. Um, this podcast, we do, you know, experimental films and stuff as well. And um, yeah, there's well, a, yeah, I had a lady who um, recently drank um, and she, she said, this is just like giving birth. And I'm like, well, I'm sure it is. And it sounded like it from, from all accounts. <laughs> yeah, we, we talked about um, Stan Brackage's uh, Dogman Star. Which uh, the later part, the later part of the movie, I, I think, has his wife's water birth, like, uh, like interpolated in all the avant-garde. Oh, like the real, the real footage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's okay, the second yeah. time he did an earlier movie where she did the same thing, and actually more detail in the first one. But this other one, it was you know like scratched up frames and just wild. Um, uh, split second images and I, I thought that was kind of a cool psychedelic like uh, yeah. interpretation of the uh of the of the birth thing yeah 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 i think the only movie i've watched which has real footage and spliced with it is cannibal holocaust and i don't really want to watch that one again <laughs> no actually one of the co-hosts for this is hey how about cannibal holocaust oh, i can't like, no, do that one again <laughs> uh, i watched that when i was in england in the depths of a depression in the winter time before i was on the healing path it was like four o'clock in the morning i was super stoned and i was like i know i'll put on a cannibal holocaust big mistake don't ever do oh, that no i i did at least oh, when i week. saw that one i think i saw it sober hell that could be worse to be perfectly honest but <laughs> oh i know there's something just not right about the sun coming up and that scene where he's cutting the head off the turtle and i was just like this is and they're just showing the, the turtle's head gasping for air and then they're eating it and getting sick and i'm like i just don't feel good now <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna do a comedy gig so <laughs> well hey you, you, you got a story for your comedy gig there don't you uh yeah not one which anyone could really really relate to that night so <laughs> now i think i heard you saying that and when you do or when you did comedy a little more recently you would just kind of uh let her rip and wing it yeah yeah I kind of do that at most nights, unless I was getting paid. I, I, I put in a job, I put in some work, and, and have a set list together. But um, if it's a night, I mean, you just get bored, and then you're like, "Well, what am I actually getting out of this? I'm not going to do the same material that I know works onto this crowd who's half drunk. I'm just going to try and be in the moment." And I mean, yeah, for a lot of comedians, once you get to a certain point, the way you write material, you don't actually sit down and write material. You just kind of have an idea. And then you just go on stage and chuck it out. And then you're in the moment and the fear kicks in and then your brain sort of takes a left turn and you spit out a punchline or a twist. And then you go back the next night and you sort of build on it. Yeah. That's so. like for this podcast, that's kind of, I mean, I send you notes. I actively watch whatever I'm watching, but I, I don't write questions beforehand. I, I don't like, you know, don't really know where it's going to go. So um, I, I usually consider it a successful episode when the guest is like, why are we talking about this? <laughs> How do we get no, here? No, that's good. <laughs> No, it's good. To, I mean, yeah, when I was a comedian, you'd have a kind of a rough idea and uh, you'd have the bits that you wanted to say, but the order they'd come out was usually kind of uh, not the way you'd expect it to. Um, was a, what's that boxing quote? Everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. So comedy <laughs> is a bit like that because, you know, every every room, every crowd's different in some way. So you can't really be like, oh, I actually knew this autistic comedian. And the way he did his act was he planned for every possible um, thing that could happen. He had Asperger's. And so he had this huge map of what his act would be, could possibly go like with many little alleyways. And so he'd just get on stage with that. But then sometimes he'd misread the, the audience cues wrong. So he'd think that they weren't responding to a joke of his in the right way when actually they were laughing. And so he'd go on one of his 
like the bombing roads <laughs> and the crowd would be like no we're actually really like you and we're enjoying this why are you saying that this sucks <laughs> so, um, that was kind of funny to watch in a way in bits would he show them the map no it was all in his head he was like this genius musician oh okay because i was thinking it would be a fantastic bit to actually just have you know like a like a stand an easel throw the map up there you know and, i think he had an easel actually from memory because uh, yeah. he drew pictures and stuff, I think I could be mixing them up. But the funny thing I saw was a reviewer came to watch him, this fa famous reviewer at one of his uh, shows, and for some, he somehow sensed that he was in the crowd, and he was like, um, "I'm sorry, it's blah 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 in the crowd." And the reviewer was like, "Yep," and he went, "Get out, get out, or I'm not doing any more." And the guy was like, "Well, no, I'm. I have to review your show. It's the Ember Fringe." And then he played the trumpet, like two notes, and then he just left the stage. <laughs> <laughs> I but Larry David, Larry David famously would, you know, from Curb Your Enthusiasm, which I fucking love, he came on, he would used to come on stage, just look at the crowd and just be like, no, nah, I don't think so. And he'd just walk off. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. Because, yeah, most of my onstage uh, experiences would be music where I always have an instrument to hide behind, you know, guitar or bass. And you're kind of hiding behind that, right? Um, yeah, I, but then I did... it has to be genuine, you know, there has to be some kind of genuine emotional thing. Like, because um, I play music uh, in these circles, in these medicine circles that I used to run. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and that was a really huge hurdle for me was to actually find an authentic, genuine emotionally genuine place to operate from and it was actually even more terrifying than hiding behind a wall of jokes so everyone's hiding from something everyone just has a different defense mechanism yeah my my other instrument is a a, a cello and you can just take a nap on that thing <laughs> oh yeah but everyone's impressed that you're playing a cello you know yeah right right but the cello these days except for you and you Omar and that other guy that i don't know so everyone's <laughs> like oh this guy's sophisticated he comes from high society I must be some kind, if I don't appreciate this, then I must be some kind of pedant, like a peasant. So, except the way I clap now, since I've, I, you know, I've done lots of rock concerts, I've done lots of classical concerts, but, um, you know, if, when you have to clap, you can't clap with a cello. Oh. So you, just kind of, you just kind of beat on the instrument. So now in most situations, I just end up like chest beating when, uh, when it's time to clap. That could be good. I, I can yeah, see yeah. that. Yeah. I sometimes get a weird glance because I'm all, I, I can show by putting this mic down, it's kind of like, that, you, go, woo, woo, woo. you gotta do that sort of um, yeah i should throw i should learn to throw a bit of that in. yeah um that and singing the birthday song using random notes that's always fun too okay yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> sometimes yeah. people notice sometimes they don't um speaking of medicine though can you give us any any fun messages from somewhere in the the not too distant past <laughs> okay um well, I drank recently because I hadn't drank for a while. Um, I'm in a relationship right now for the like uh, first time proper, and that's really confronting. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the medicine just showed me how much fear there is in my heart blocking me from letting people in, and how a lot of this has to do with being hurt in early childhood, and how you just set up these walls and this rigid armory. Uh, which it serves a purpose, but if you don't open that up, and I think a lot of dudes have this problem, uh, you just kind of rot on the inside and it causes all sorts of heart diseases and shit in the future. So 
basically it was telling me if you don't want to die of heart related diseases uh or at least lessen the chance you have to be emotionally open uh so then the question became how do you become emotionally open in a world that uh is is often wants to hurt you i haven't really worked that out yet but it's uh it's a bit of a question that i'm trying to work out how to be <laughs> right, emotionally right. open or loving but you know there's psychic vampires everywhere and then I had this vision one time on ayahuasca and it was, I didn't, I didn't mean to have this. My, my intention was like, I want to heal my self-esteem issues. And instead I got taken into this vision of the future, which was like the collapse of the American empire, which you don't really need plants to kind of see that coming. But this was like <laughs> three years before fucking COVID. And, and, and I think this was, no, no, this was after Trump. And I was watching this huge wall full of like gargoyles, which represented like the system just sort of, collapsing in slow motion but gradually increasing in speed and all the faces in the walls were like contorting like going we didn't plan for this this does not fit into our plan because obviously they're quite rigid and then what followed was this huge uh it was like a scene from the walking dead or all those apocalypse zombie movies now which was like these sort of libertarian survivalist hippie groups that were banding together in tribes and trying to preserve their humanitarian values. But meanwhile, there was less nice people who just wanted to take their shit and fuck them up, who I guess were like, you know, barbarian type violent scumbags. And there was just a big gunfight going on. And they're like, how do we become, stay hippies and be loving? And these people are trying to kill us. <laughs> so <laughs> that was pretty intense. And, um, I came down and my friend who I was tripping with, I, I told him what I saw. He said, dude, that's exactly what I was seeing as well. So then we drank some coconut water and wondered about the time if it would ever come where we wouldn't be able to drink coconut water that we bought from the supermarket. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I, I don't want to be a doomsday naysayer or anything. I did. I think it was November 2019, right? I, I get most interesting things in dreams these days, right? Yeah. I remember being told in a dream, like, not that the world was ending, just like this paradigm only has two years left, right? Okay. And, and I woke up, yeah, and I woke up like thinking that's kind of weird. Next week, you know, my company sold itself to a corporate buy, you know, corporate master. I'm like, yeah. oh, that could be bad. Then next year, COVID hits. I'm like, huh, is that dream actually telling me something legit? Again, yeah. not that the world's ending or that it's even going to be bad for me, just like this paradigm is ending. Yeah, I think the paradigm is <laughs> definitely. You know, it's, I mean, the fucking NASA's coming out with shit about the UFO, like, uh, like how that's becoming mainstream now that the aliens are real. And I'm like, what, why are they throwing this into the mix now? Like, what's going on here? <laughs> you know, it's, it's getting really <laughs> weird. Like all my friends who drank ayahuasca, we all say life's pretty much like being on ayahuasca constantly now. And everyone who, who's done a lot of plant work, they were able to kind of roll with what's going on a lot easier, I've found. But um, yeah, and I don't want to buy into the apocalypse narratives because they're really rife and they're, you know, kind of hopeless in a way. But um, I don't know, the messages that I've gotten on the plants, like before COVID last year, I took this African plant called a boga and it's a really intense psychedelic that goes for about two days. And I didn't see any visuals. He was just talking to me. Literally, I was in this dark hole and he was telling me, um, get out of the cities, move rural, learn survivalist skills, <laughs> build <laughs> community. And I was like, oh, okay. And, and he was also saying, and just heal as much shit as you can because it's going to get, it's going to get harder. And yeah. I was like, oh, okay. Okay. That's a weird message to get from a plant. And I could just be on hallucinogens. I don't know. 
But uh, then COVID hit and I was like, oh shit, this is, but you know what? I did a survivalist course and I was like, this is really hard. I'm not sure if this is going to work. <laughs> you can't just go from city boy to like doing one week course and just going, yep, I can survive the apocalypse. So, so yeah, now I'm moving to a place which has good soil where I can grow shit. <laughs> so, there we go. Yeah. Tomatoes from shit. I, I think there is a way out. There always has to be a way out. Uh, but we just haven't worked out the, the a realistic narrative which can steer that. Yeah, see, I, I, I'm living with very little to no fear. I'm living in a place where the community, when things do go wrong, they do still kind of tie together. I'm living, you know, five, about 10 kilometers from the, the family farm, right? So if yeah. things got weird, hey, we got a farm, uh, you know. Yeah, right? yeah, just, yeah, yeah. I used to go up there on Mondays to, you know, be loud with music. Uh, if, if my yeah. in are not farming, I can I can scream there all I want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Good, man. Yeah. That's good that you have a farm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't I don't have farming skills. Sorry, what? I don't have the farming skills. It's funny. My, yeah. my daughter's 12 and I think she knows a lot more about farming than I do. <laughs> I think I think if the shit hits a fan, we'll be surprised about how resourceful humans are. And um, there was an interesting um, article that I was reading by this uh, theologian and theorist, and he was talking about how um, evolution is a result of crisis. You can't evolve to offset crisis because it's just not, the pressure's not on yet. It's when we're actually in a crisis that the novelty is basically created just out of sheer necessity. So I don't know, I'm kind of seeing right now, there's this huge explosion of novelty uh, in many spheres and then I don't know, maybe that's instinctive. And then should some thing happen, uh, one of those novelties will prove to be effective in some way, probably several of the novelties, and then will be upscaled. That's my theory. I was um, talking to someone yesterday, actually, and I, I guess it'll be like a week prior to this episode when it's posted, but um, yeah. we were talking about the, um, it, it's the Seth material. And uh, if you're not familiar with it, it's fine, but what it boils down to is- What is it? It, it, it was like channel, it's a channeling stuff right yeah. that's right that's right but um so i was talking to someone that was a student in those classes in the 70s but yeah. one of the concepts and, and this is kind of where i was like oh well, why does this horrible shit keep happening is uh one of the basic tenets is the world we're seeing is is one framework it's the physical framework right yeah uh the idea is that we're actually constantly flashing in and out from Framework one and framework two. We're spending just as much time there as we are here. In yeah. framework two is where we're like even you and I now, like in that framework, we're making certain, you know, telepathic or you know, certain agreements on the on a, on a wider scale of things, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of like we're down in our respective rooms now having this conversation, but in the second framework, it's more like a bird's eye view, right? So Yeah, yeah. Well they say that um there's uh whoever they is, but uh we're in the physical realm and uh, you know, there's the astral realm and then in the middle of the astral realm and the physical realm is the imaginal realm. So things have to sort of be birthed through the imaginal realm. That's why, you know, you look at a lot of old, old school sci-fi and a lot of the uh, inventions they predicted back then they're real now. So um, yeah, just interesting little thing there. Well, yeah, yeah, geeks, they see the communicator on Star Trek and uh, you know, they were like, I want to make that. And then we get it. Um, yeah. 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 And then they another, mean in silicon valley and do that <laughs> I, I had a previous uh guest who who is a hollywood guy and he was talking about well yeah gene roddenberry would actually go to channel 
section uh sessions too i don't remember what the yeah. channel is but it was like the nine and in star trek yeah. you keep seeing nine showing up everywhere especially in the uh, older stuff so <laughs> yeah yeah well i know the the guy who designed all the star wars monster monsters he was taking loads of acid and he'd just get to see these out of these these beings on his journeys and then just turn them into puppets and um hr gaga the guy who designed all the aliens he was talking about that as well I'm not sure if he took acid, but he, he when they went, how did you come up with this stuff? He was like talking about, oh, no, I didn't. They're real. What are you talking about? I, I met them. So <laughs> he's a weird German guy. So, you know, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to meet. I don't want to meet those guys. No, neither do I. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, yesterday, we, we have a, a relatively new guy in my office that's from Germany. Right. I mean, he's teaching English. His English is good. But um, someone mentioned, oh, yeah, yeah, there's, you know, oh, yeah, there's a country into that kind of porno. He's like, you're talking about my country, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> Germany, and, Germany and Japan, the countries with the most repressive sort of social codes, they're the ones who have the most fucked up porn. That's what I found. This thing Not that, that I watch that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can, you know, be a salary man and at work, you're, you don't leave the manager does, but you're going to have the party and they get just drunk as hell. They're vomiting in the curbside. Nobody cares. Next day at work, it's oh, like, yeah. you're drinking, of course. That's what happened. Of course, they drank too much, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the, the one movie that you should watch and then do a podcast about is Hold on, Into the Void. No, no, <laughs> no, no. Okay, I've had that conversation. I fell asleep during that one. I was just like, this isn't like DMT. It's too slow. The DMT. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but uh, so uh, no, it's called Fetish. So it's a, it's you know Nick Broomfield, the guy who made the doco about Big in Tupac and Kurt and Courtney. Oh right, okay. Uh, well, he spends, uh, I don't know, some time in a high-end escort um, BDSM dungeon in New York. And uh, one of the stipulations for the people who get filmed is that this is part of your humiliation. You're going to be in this public documentary. And uh, most of the people who are there are high-placed CEOs and executives. And, and it's just they have so much pressure on, on holding up this mask of being the authority that they then have to go into these places and just get shit on and pissed on. And whipped and beaten. Yeah, so that's yeah. why I, I try and avoid authority positions for that reason. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> and I mean, it's like they say you have certain amounts of, of money, and now you want power, and you get the power, it's like, what's next? You know? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I mean and, and we're looking purely at the external world rewards there, which is, you know, nothing more than a spot of candy that's gone mm-hmm. in an instant. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. There's all these weird, I don't know if you want to talk about this, all those satanic child sex rings and stuff. I don't know if they're real. They seem like there's some element of truth in there, but it's just like, well, you get to a certain position of power and just, uh, you know, making love to your lady doesn't cut it anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think the line is uh, if you get into the whole they thing, I mean, yes, there are people out there doing horrible things. and, And in the end, it's on an individual basis, right? It's like you do something you do but, something uh, horrible or you don't do something horrible and, and you always have the choice to do, you know, not the horrible thing. So, yeah, I think it, I think it works in increments though. It's like foot in a door effect. You know, it, you do something little horrible and then you're like, Oh, okay, well I, I live with that and that's okay. And then you're able to do much more horrible thing. And before you know it, you're drinking adrenochrome from a, a live thing, but I don't actually believe in the adrenochrome thing. I think that's shit. No, I actually I looked up on Arrow what adrenochrome experiences and everyone's like, yeah, I tried to do this. Didn't do anything. I just got a headache. 
So <laughs> maybe maybe it's just the power play of doing it doesn't actually have any real effects. <laughs> yeah, 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 I think so. I don't know. I mean, I someone know. with a lot of money and a lot of power and a lot of psychosis tried it. It's not like any sort of conspiracy with people snap and do ridiculous, horrible things. So, well, I mean, I think you're going to be psychopath to get to those echelons of power. So I'm sure they're into weird shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, people like us, it's it's an echo chamber, I think. But the idea, yeah, if you're elected to a power position, you should go have an ayahuasca trip or something first. <laughs> I'm not sure if it would help, honestly. No. Like, uh, no. I've, given, I've given medicine to narcissists um, back when I did that. And um, <laughs> it made them worse in some respects. I was like, I was talking to my friend and I was like, I don't know. They're just not getting it, man. They're not getting the unity thing and the all oh, we're all one and the loving thing. And he's just like, just give them more, man. They got to just break through. So I gave them more. And then, um, then they had a religious experience of some kind, but then it just sort of went to their head and they became, I'm, I'm, I've seen God, I'm God, that sort of thing. And I was, and then last time I heard though, you know, gone even further down into the conspiracy wormhole. So I was like, yeah, I uh, guess that's a, pendulum pendulum swing towards the other direction well that brings back to the concept of you know balance right yeah yeah so but i don't know how do, that are... how do you find balance in a world which is definitely not in balance right now i don't, I don't know <laughs> i mean yeah. for me I, i've gotten reasonably good at meditation and my re my original intention was what there's dmt in your head i want to coax that out I mean, I was like, oh, I want to yeah. make, I want to trip on my own if I can't get anything in Japan, right? Yeah. Well, dark rooms I hear are very effective for that. So you can give that a shot. I kind of did. I had an apartment where I just had a bath and there's no light they got in there. So yeah, yeah. I was a goth um, for about a year. So that was my dark room. Experience. Oh, lots of darkness. Okay. That's cool. Actually, I was like, I gotta stop listening to the cave. This is destructive now. <laughs> I need a girlfriend. So yeah. Well, that, the whole point is, yeah, I guess. I guess it depends on the quality of the guide, but yeah, <laughs> I don't know. How about, how about Branson? He just went into space and looked at the earth and so many astronauts are like, I just, you know, I became so much uh, more about unity. I, I wonder yeah. what the Branson experience in, is on that. Did he get enlightened or he's just like, I just went to space in my own ship. Fuck you. <laughs> or did he go to space? Yeah, yeah. Last week, um, he took a crew of six. I mean, just like a suborbital flight, but they were weightless for several minutes. So, but it was oh. on. It's he's the first person who's gone into space on his own dime, basically. Like he okay. founded the ship. So, I think, that... I think. Yeah, I think he'd need to do some fucking psychedelics in space to fully get that. <laughs> yeah, I'm just thinking. Like, is he now just like I am full of you know big dick swinging energy, or or did he you know like look at the Earth and you know have a, a flash of some kind of yeah. enlightenment you know yeah i don't know i don't know i guess you just have to listen to him i definitely wouldn't drink ayahuasca in space because you just throw up and then <laughs> oh, and it can go all over the place puke. i think mushrooms would be good maybe yeah but i've heard you're really ungrounded and freak out i don't know like, oh my god 80... i'm in space <laughs> i've heard 80 percent of people that go into space vomit within the first 16 hours yeah fair enough yeah yeah Although um, uh, I don't think, as far as I know, no one's actually done psychedelics in space, but some of the Apollo astronauts coming back reported some very psychedelic um, experiences. Uh, let's see. In fact, one of them, uh, not Gordon Cooper, but Shepard. Uh, anyway, one of the astronauts started like the you know, Noetic Institute after coming back. Oh, from, okay. 
Yeah, I'm not, uh, well, I mean, you don't need you don't need psychedelics to get to that state. It's just the, it's just one of the easiest and fastest ways to do it. But but I've I've gotten to that state. Uh, I was in India at the Mother Teresa home for the destitute and dying, and I helped someone die, and I went into a full psychedelic state when I was assisting his death, and then I was totally had like. Then I went and watched Star Wars and I literally had uh, voices talking to me in my head that weren't in the movie. And they were telling me things um, that modern psychiatrists would probably perceive as a psychotic break. And then I was walking around outside and had this, everything looked like a cardboard cutout. Like I realized, oh yeah, this really is a simulation. Reality is an illusion. And that was off nothing. I was just off helping a guy die and holding his hand and feeling his chest as his soul was leaving his face <laughs> yeah all right yeah that, now, that's wild. you know i wouldn't recommend that way of trying to get a psychedelic experience because that you know that'd be a bit creepy if you're just hanging out at old folks homes just like hey can i just hang out with this guy for a while i just want to <laughs> i just need to get out of soul exit <laughs> <laughs> yeah really but um no I, i've had just just yesterday just at work i just sort of had a, a you know sudden like kind of going back like i'm doing what i'm supposed to do i'm not feeling sick or anything i just uh, kind of my brain you know took a step yeah. back um yeah. the last time i had a fever was a couple of years ago uh long before covid by the way <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. i remember at first i was uh, lying in bed i was like actually like i was ready to start going and lucid dreaming and all that stuff and it's like ah, you, now you gotta go to the doctor right and the car ride i was like my consciousness was just like right above my head yeah, yeah, yeah. in the car. Yeah. Then we got in the waiting room. It was too hot. And then everything just sucked. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing's like, more sobering than being in a hospital. Yeah. It's like, why couldn't I just like have, you know, rocked that fever for a few hours in bed first, at least, and, you know, see well, where next it time, no, went. Next time, no, just to sit at home, put on Pink Floyd, sit back for a while. Only go to <laughs> hospital when, when your respiratory systems breaking down a bit and you're like maybe i do have covid <laughs> <laughs> this was uh 2018 or something it turned this was actually weird um i keep just thinking about chakras i keep having weird health issues like moving up my body it started off with just a oh. weird infection in my leg and then lower back problems and upper back problems and and oh, okay. last year i mean i actually had a tumor in my face last year <laughs> you actually did yeah yeah it's gone now but <laughs> fuck man yes, i keep having yeah. this problems moving up it's interesting so yeah and, and, and suddenly i'm weird. podcasting all the time i'm like oh that's kind of fifth chakra ish isn't it <laughs> yeah well yeah yeah that's third chakra definitely um yeah uh you should get that checked out <laughs> oh, oh no no i i've had six rounds of chemo it got checked out <laughs> oh, man well i'll send you some medicines if you want to japan they're totally legal they're, okay they're yeah sure no, yeah Okay, because yeah, yeah. that was when that first happened. Uh, when I first got diagnosed, I was like, "Man, I don't want to get all that, you know, pharmaceutical scag, right?" I was like, "Yeah." But in the end, I was like, "Well, okay. Here's here's the situation. If you tried to do something else right here, right now, you would end up like pissing off all the people around you in your life, <laughs> you know." Oh. And, and I'm like, you know, and and I've had a fantastic life, and no one would people would fondly remember me if this did lead to an end and then that's fine. You know, it's like, let's, let's keep our yeah. relationships intact, you know, you know, and, and leave a good impression on everyone. And Hey, now I hear I am feeling great and uh, you know, it all worked out. So. Yeah. I understand that totally, man. But um, yeah, I have seen in the space and I'm not, I'm not saying ayahuasca did it, but it's pretty clear to me. I've seen a guy who had an inoperable brain tumor 
and he drank ayahuasca three times and uh it was i can't remember it was like the size of a big marble like it was going to kill him and it was pressing on his optic nerve and it just it's not there anymore he's cancer free now declared and the doctors were like i don't know what you're doing but uh <laughs> but during his process he was crying hysterically a lot of huge emotional release mm-hmm. so what i've seen from a lot of illnesses uh there's an emotional unexpressed emotional root so uh <clears throat> yeah so um yeah I, maybe this, I, got, I, this got a bit personally heavy didn't it <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. I, I should also mention that, um, you know, but I had a, I actually did have a good time last year when I was in the hospital. I read a bunch of Star Trek books, you know, uh, I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I went, I went AWOL a lot, to be honest, and would take walks around. <laughs> hey, man. Fuck, uh, I, I totally that, man. I'd go AWOL. Unless they had me plugged to a pole. I made like a whole album during this period. You know, it's like I kept podcasting. I, I There's one um, I did about the Godzilla King of the Monsters with, with my co-host. And in the past, you just hear yeah. beeping and Japanese nurses in the background. <laughs> I was like, I feel yeah, like this sounds there. amazing. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, I mean, death puts you in the present moment. That's for sure. I yeah, mean, so- yeah, when COVID hit, I drank ayahuasca to find out what, what was going on and if there was anything I could do. And it told me, just be present. Just be present because there's no... That's the only thing you can do. That's the only way you can yeah. adapt to these changing circumstances. I love saying that to people. I was like, my, my 2020 was great. Oh, my God. But it was a COVID year. And I had cancer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and well, it was still you, a great year. You're, you're initiated, man. You'll be fine. You'll be yeah, like the yeah. head man if the shit goes down. They'll well, be no, like, no, talk no, to my... the guy who recovered from face cancer. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I mean, honestly, it might show up again at some time. So, you know, it's a likely it would. But, <laughs> well, I guess we'll do something else then. So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah man like um yeah i reckon if yeah try and get try and come to terms with these emotions if there's an emotional root to this illness yeah if you can clear that i think i've yeah. kind of pinpointed it uh i'll just throw it out um it, it's not that traumatic but it what well, it, it traumatized me but it's not that traumatic uh it's sort of five or six years old and uh it was like the all the mothers in the neighborhood would have all the kids stay at a house right yep and, and it was time to go home. And one kid, I want, I'm an only child. I want him to come like play with me. Right. And he, I really didn't want to. And he did. And he didn't have a good time. And I know in the end, actually, it's the moms who made that decision anyway. But it was kind of oh. like the, the trauma was dragging someone in to do something I want to do. And then the uh-huh. really got into it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And here, well, I mean, this podcasting is part of working on that, isn't it? Because <laughs> Yeah, I'm well, definitely it definitely releases trapped energy. That's for sure. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if you wanted to turn this into diagnostics, but <laughs> <laughs> I'll ma- mail you some brew. <laughs> no, no. Groovy. I'm just getting uh, authority police people. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but seriously, I, we'll talk about the show. <laughs> okay. Uh, actually I do need to wind down cause, uh, I, I do go to work after these things, but, uh, yeah. like I said, you know, you're going to be like, how, how do we get to this? It was about Bill Hicks. And, uh, if you didn't watch a film, this is one you should definitely watch. Sometimes yeah, yeah. episodes I'm like, yeah, you probably don't actually want to watch this film. <laughs> if it's a particularly if you're easily offended, but yeah. revelations is great, but also listen to Rantony minor. Cause that's what was recorded when he was, dying and he really doesn't give a shit mm. so for me that's the one which is like really gets you but but also what they've released now is like not only his cancelled letterman uh thing but also uh his his footage from the gigs he did as in, in the rantony minor period and they're just really there's something really incredible about the next level he reaches there 
And, and I found this on his Wikipedia page just, just a day or two ago where he had written a goodbye letter. And it was a few what? days before he died. And after he quit, he wasn't able to speak anymore. I've got to look this up. I'm running it down. Okay. Uh, on a, on a lighter it. note, there's also a gig you should watch up. Look, look up Bill Hicks, Hey, Hey, It's Saturday. Hey, Hey, It's Saturday is this terrible Australian um, talk show made in the 80s. But he, ha he has a, like a stuffed ostrich puppet as his co-host. And so it's the most like redneck, lowbrow show you could ever have. And for some weird reason, Bill Hicks is on it, fucking doing a set about Easter, like his high-end satire on the most unmatching talk show you could possibly have. And you can see it on his face, it's just like, what the fuck am I doing here with this guy with a stuffed ostrich? <laughs> it's really funny, especially for Australians, because I know what I'm talking about. So, um, Nick, I, 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 I'm actually going to read this letter just as a nice memorial okay. for a. But first, yeah, yeah. Um, can you tell folks uh, where to get into your stuff or, or what you're up to now? Okay, so I'm working on this fucking book uh, that I'm. It will be done by the end of this year, and it's a compilation of my blogs. I was writing a blog during my self-initiation process when I was training to be a um, plant medicine shaman ayahuasca dude, and so it was all me cataloging my spiritual awakening process from, uh, I guess, a Gen X, sarcastic, cynical, South Parkian point of view. Uh, and my blog can be found on w, um, Medium. Nick, just look up Nick's on Medium, and most of the stuff is on there. I've got a YouTube channel that I haven't updated for two years, and there's varying quality of stuff there. And you can support me on Patreon, where I'm trying to found my own religious cult. Um, so you can join that and support me there. But stay tuned next year. I'll be getting more into media, making more media and stuff because I feel called to come back in that sphere at least. Okay. And definitely thanks for coming on today. It's been fine. And since, since we did get heavy anyway, I, I'll just read. You'll hear it right now. So sorry, it's not in Bill Hicks' voice. It's in mine. But he didn't have a voice when he wrote this anymore. So here we go. Wow. I was born William Melvin Hicks on December 16th, 1961 in Valdosta, Georgia. Ugh. Melvin Hicks from Georgia. Yeehaw! I had already gotten off to life on the wrong foot. I was always awake, I guess you'd say. Some part of me clamoring for new insights and new ways to make the world a better place. All of this came out years down the line in my multitude of creative interests that are now the tools I, use, I now bring to the party. Writing, acting, music, comedy, a deep love of literature and books. Thank God for all the artists who have helped me. I read these words, excuse me, I'd read these words and off I went, dreaming my own imaginative dreams, exercising them at will eventually to form bands, comedy, more bands, movies, anything creative. This is the coin of the realm I use in my words, vision. On June 16th, 1993, I was diagnosed with having liver cancer that had spread from the pancreas one of life's weirdest and worst jokes imaginable. I'd been making such progress recently in my attitude, my career, and realizing my dreams that just stood on me on my head for a while. Why me, I would cry out, and why now? Well, I know now there may never be any answers to those particular questions, but maybe in telling a little bit about myself, we can find some other answers to other questions that might help our way down our own particular paths towards realizing my dream of new hope and new happiness. Amen. I left in love and laughter and in truth and wherever truth, love and laughter abide. I am there in spirit. And that's a week before his death when he wrote that. Wow. So. Yeah. I mean, 
in answer to Hicks's question there, why him? I mean, I don't want to speak ill of the guy, but I mean, you could see from his lifestyle. I mean, he was chain smoking a long time. And again, back to the emotional root of illnesses, man, he was an angry guy, man, lots of anger, lots of negative emotion. And that's, that toxifies your system. That's scientifically proven. Yeah. Know? Well, ha having asked the question, course, why me? Why now? My answer last year was, well, why not? <laughs> <laughs> that was Timothy Leary's last words, I think. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> said, why not? And then it was something like, because. <laughs> <laughs> why me? Oh, yeah, that's, that's, I can't remember what it is. That's a vague answer, but I guess it's a pretty definitive one. Yeah. Yeah, no, but it's a real shame that he, he left because uh, I reckon he had another good fucking 20 years. Really? Oh, always a shame, but uh, just I, I like that letter. Uh, just, you know, like, let's, let's yeah. go out on a good Never foot here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll pray to Hicks. I'll pray to Hicks. I'll ask him to come into my next journey. There see we go. Yeah, see, yeah, yeah, report back on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will, for sure. you advance the film strip? Are you on the final page? Well done.